Ryan, I'm the pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church, and I know we have some guests with us this morning. Uh, we want to extend a special welcome to those of you who uh, might be joining us for the first time or um, have been with us just a few times. It's really good to have each and every one of you uh, with us this morning. I love that song that we just sang about Open Up the Heavens and just that invitation for God to come and dwell among us. And uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to uh, the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah is not an easy book to find in the Old Testament. Um, so if you kind of open to the middle, maybe about two-thirds of the way through, we do want to encourage you to bring your Bibles each and every week. Um, some of you, I know, have your Bibles on your uh, cellular uh, or on your tablet. Uh, we'll also put it on the screen. Um, I personally like to write in my Bible, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. If you want to take some notes or some thoughts of how God might be speaking to you um, through your scripture, uh, through God's scripture to us, uh, but the one in your hand. And so I want to encourage and invite you uh, each and every week to bring uh, your Bibles. So we are in week three of a sermon series called Jonah, God's Relentless Grace. It's more than a fish story or a fishy story, I guess if you will. And each week we're looking at another piece of the story of Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet. Uh, he was uh, one of God's people who lived about 700 years. 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. So a long time before Jesus came on the scene, God came to Jonah and spoke a message. And one of the things I love about the story of Jonah is that Jonah was a very flawed imperfect person. Uh, he was disobedient. Uh, Jonah messed up time and time again. And as I read the story of Jonah, I think, you know what, if God can use somebody like Jonah to do some really important work, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for me. And I hope you hear that too in the story of Jonah. That if God can use someone uh, so broken, so flawed, so disobedient, someone who is running so fast away from God, and God says, I'm still going to use you. To my honor and glory, I want you to think, hey, I wonder what God's got in store for me, too. So I want to bring up the speed um, to the story of Jonah. Backing up a couple weeks ago, the story began this way. God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. It's to the east. And God said, I want you to go there and preach a sermon. Because those are some evil people, and they need to hear that they need to turn from their ways and follow after me. Now Jonah thought to himself, God's not uh, really doesn't really know what he's talking about. So rather than going east, Jonah goes west. He goes the exact opposite direction. And he keeps going and going and going until he runs out of land in the port city of Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. And Jonah can't go any further west. So he gets in a boat, and he goes out onto the sea because he wants to keep going and going and going to get away from God as far as he could. And no sooner does he get on the boat with this group of sailors that a storm comes up. It's a big storm, and there's waves crashing all over, and they're pretty sure that the boat's going to sink, and everybody's going to die. So they figure out really early on that the reason that this storm came up was because of Jonah's disobedience. God said, I want you to go here. And Jonah said, no, I'm not. I'm going to run away. And because of that, there were consequences. And there was a storm. So there's waves crashing all over the boat. And Jonah said, okay, I have an idea. Here's what I want you to do. Throw me in the ocean. Sacrifice my life. And so the sailors are like, all right, we're good with that. 
So they throw Jonah overboard, and as he sinks lower and lower into the depths of the sea, the waters become calm, and the life of the sailors are saved. But there's Jonah going deeper and deeper into the ocean. And just about when things can't get any deeper, can't get any worse, along comes a big fish. Oftentimes we think of this as Jonah and the whale, but it doesn't say that in the text. It just says it was a big fish. So along comes a fish and swallows Jonah. And then in chapter 2, last week, we looked at this great prayer. The entire chapter 2 of the book of Jonah is there's Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale doing what all desperate people do, whether you believe in God or not, right? He's praying. So there's Jonah in the belly of the whale crying out to God, God, I'm sorry for my disobedience. You told me to go here and I went here. In three days and three nights, there he is. And he's, having, he's wrestling with God. And he's struggling with God. And after the end of three days, the fish swims to dry land and it says it spit him out on the shore. And so this morning, we're going to pick up Jonah laying on the beach, covered in sand and salt water and fish guts. Right? Jonah chapter 3. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this gathering this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, opening up the heavens and coming and meeting us in this place and in this time. God, I pray that uh, as we reflect on this just great story of your grace and love for your people, you would give us open hearts and open minds and open lives to hear something new. Dear God, of your relentless grace for our lives. So God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jonah uh, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jeff mentioned that in the opening this morning, and that's exactly the first thing that jumped out of my head, too. Sometimes Jeff and I read each other's mail. And I love that, how God comes to Jonah a second time. The first time God came to Jonah, Jonah was disobedient, and things went very bad for Jonah. The second time, God comes to Jonah and gives him a second chance. Several years ago, uh, I used to follow uh, a preacher of one of the um, most thriving uh, churches in the United States. It's called New Spring Church. It's in Anderson, South Carolina. And this church began about 15 years ago by a very charismatic preacher-teacher guy by the name of Perry Noble. And before Perry started this church, Perry battled a lot of demons and a lot of addictions. And I think one of the reasons why it was such a, a, a successful congregation is because uh, Perry Noble is just very transparent and honest. And he talks about all the struggles, all the battles, all the addictions in his life. And this congregation, just a couple of years ago, was worshiping about 25,000 uh, every single weekend. 25,000 people, multiple campuses, one of these big mega churches. And this church was just really humming along. And things were going great. People were following Jesus. And they were growing in uh, their relationship with Jesus Christ. But then Perry fell back into addiction. And he really began to struggle 
and with all the demons that came back into his life. So the board of elders of the church came to Perry and said, we need you to step back and get healthy. And so Perry stepped back, stepped back away from that church. I mean, things had just really gone south for him. He actually blew up his marriage. Things fell completely apart because of his addictions. The church continued on, but there was Perry. Lots of people surrounded him, pastors and other people, just to help him to overcome and, and get control of his addictions and those demons that were he just was struggling with. And for a couple of years, this is what Perry did. He just, he just dealt with his addictions and got healthy. And then at a certain point in time, not that long ago, Perry felt like he was ready to jump back into ministry. And he started a new church called Second Chance Church. Second Chance Church, and the motto of Second Chance Church is this. We are the church of the lost, the misfits, the outcasts, and the forgotten. I love that motto. I want that to be the motto of our church. And even though we're called Faith Lutheran Church, I want you to think of us as a second chance church. Or maybe a third chance church, a fourth chance church. Maybe a tenth chance church. I don't know what you're thinking. You know, you came in these doors this morning. I want you to know that this is a second chance church for you this morning. God came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Remember last time, Jonah disobeyed. And there were consequences. This time it says that Jonah obeyed. He went to Nineveh. Nineveh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I shared with you, it was an evil place. It was a horrible place. See, these were some of the most cruel people in the ancient world. Just for fun, they tortured people. They were awful people. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to these people. And, and Jonah, the first time around, said, I'm not going. But the second time, it says that he obeyed. And when you hear this word obedience, you might think to yourself, well, isn't that kind of an Old Testament kind of thing to do? Right? Isn't that an Old Testament word? And certainly this is a story from the Old Testament. We're, we're the New Testament church, right? If the Old Testament is about obedience, then the New Testament is, is all about grace and love, right? Sometimes I hear that. Oh, we don't have to obey anymore. But I want to remind you folks this morning that obedience is every bit as much a part of the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. In fact, nowhere will you find in the New Testament does anyone, Jesus, Paul, any of the other apostles say, you don't need to obey anymore. In fact, if you read throughout the New Testament over and over and over, is Jesus and the apostles and all those who were martyred for the faith, is this, this call to obey the scriptures. In fact, as I think about um, some of Jesus' Jesus's final words on earth, Matthew 28, it's a great commission. It's, it's, it's God's mission statement for the church. You, may, you know these words, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey my word. Jesus, he was serious about obedience. And because Jesus was serious about obedience, we're also serious about obedience. Now, I didn't say we're about perfection, right? We, we fail. Remember, we're a second chance church. 
But we absolutely live into this idea, this aspiration that God has got something for us to, to, to God's got something to say to us. And he's called us to live into uh, and be obedient, to obey. And the central idea behind obedience is saying no to myself and yes to God. See, every single day when you wake up, you've got a decision to make. Am I going to be about me? Am I going to be about what I want? Am I going to be about my desires? Or am I going to be about those things that I think are right? Or am I going to just lay all those things down or put them on the shelf and say, no, I'm going to be about what God has called me to be today. That's obedience. It's saying no to self and yes to God. And that's some of the hardest work that we do as we go through life. And God invites us to do that every single day and wrestle with what it means to be obedient. And in the story, we can see very clearly that God is calling Jonah to obey. And it says, this time Jonah obeyed and he went. Now, the mission statement of the Faith Lutheran Church, our congregation, is that we're going to be about growing disciples who grow disciples. It's going to be about obedience. That's what God has called us to be, is followers of Jesus. It's saying no to self and yes to wherever God is calling us. Even if we don't like it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's inconvenient. That's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Laying down our will and following after where God is calling us to go. So on, in this story... Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. How many days did it take to go through Nineveh? Three! Not two, not four, three. How many days was Jonah in the belly of the whale? Three. How many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three! This is not a coincidence, folks. Three is a biblical number, and it has to do with cleansing. It has to do with preparation and washing clean. This is why when a person is baptized, they are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's this, this imagery, this symbolism of cleansing and washing clean. And so when the story writer, Jonah, talks about it, it took three days to go to walk through the city of Nineveh. What the story writer is communicating to us is that God is already at work. Even before Jonah shows up to preach a sermon, God is already preparing the hearts, the minds, and the lives of the people of Nineveh. All these little details, we just read over them, I know, oftentimes. But they're in there for a reason. And the reader's trying to, uh, the writer's trying to tell us that God is there, God is moving, and God is cleansing. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh and he preaches an eight-word sermon. Eight words. That's the entire sermon. Right? And some of you are thinking, I wish Brian would preach an eight-word sermon. Right? Amen? I've never preached an 80-word sermon. I've never preached an 800-word sermon. Most of my sermons are about 5,000 words. 
Jonah preaches an eight-word sermon. And yes, I know I can be a little bit windy and I can go on and on and on. In fact, I used to, uh, I used to have a couple pastors that I would get together with and they were much more controlled in their homiletic uh, approach. And they would regularly, uh, you know, in good fun, remind me that some of the greatest speeches ever spoken were short uh, messages. And so one of them, uh, you maybe know this, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream Speech, 1,667 words. And most of us would be like, yeah, that's a sermon, right? That's pretty amazing. Well, maybe the Gettysburg Address, 272 words. And then they would look at me and go, less is more, Brian, less is more. Jonah preached eight words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. How many of you, you hear that eight-word sermon and go, wow, that just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy? I mean, can we just agree, this is a horrible sermon. I mean, I've taken, I've taken six classes in homiletics, which is the study of preaching. I've read dozens of books. I'm a big critic of other people. I listen to a lot of preaching. So I have a little bit of an idea. I certainly have an opinion about what makes a good sermon and a bad sermon. This is a bad sermon. In fact, you could argue that this may be one of the worst sermons ever preached. Gloom and doom. Some of you left that church to preach gloom and doom, right? Because you're like, that's just bad preaching. But that's the sermon that Jonah preached. Forty days! And then it will be overthrown. Let us pray. I mean, that, it was just that simple. Unbelievable. And I hear this sermon, and I'm like, man! The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with the sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. A lousy eight-word sermon. And the results are repentance. The whole thousands of people put on sackcloth. It's a way of symbolism of, of saying, we're, we're sorry, we've done wrong, we're not worthy. The whole city repents, and the king says, I hereby make the declaration that we're all going to repent. I mean, how does this happen? How is it that Jonah preaches such a lousy sermon, and everybody says, oh, we've sinned, we need to stop, we're going to call out to God and ask for forgiveness. How does this even happen? In 1907, there was a, a Bible conference in Pyongyang, uh, which is, of course, now North Korea. 
It was a group of uh, Korean Christians who had gathered together. And back in 1907, the Korean church was small, but they were a, a pretty mighty group of people. They were faithful people. But during this Bible conference, as the leaders of the church in Korea got together, one preacher after another stood up, looked at the Korean Christians, and he invited them to repent of their sins. See, because the Koreans have a bitter relationship with the Japanese. They don't like the Japanese, even the Japanese Christians. And preacher after preacher would look at these Koreans and say, you are no better than those awful Japanese, even the Christian Japanese. And the Holy Spirit came and softened the Korean hearts. And a revival broke out. And these Christian Korean leaders went back to their villages with humble hearts and hearts filled with gratitude that God had rescued them and saved them. And they weren't worthy to be saved. Did you know today that the Korean church is one of the most thriving churches in the world, one of the most active churches in the world? Not so much in North Korea, right? We actually don't know what's going on in the church in North Korea. But South Korea is a, is a mission-sending church. Did you know that the largest church in the world today is in Seoul, Korea? It's extraordinary. They're sending missionaries to us and everywhere around the world. The Methodist church doubled in just a matter of weeks after this Bible conference. I mean, things just exploded. How can you explain this? And of course the answer is you can only explain it by the, of the Holy Spirit breaking in to people's lives. Somehow God does something in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds when we come before Him humbly and we repent. That's what happens when we repent. God does something to us. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why we practice corporate confession every week when we gather in our worship. Sometimes I lead it, sometimes Jeff leads it, sometimes one of our other worship people lead it, and it's just this, uh, this reminder that, hey, before we open God's Word, before we receive communion, before we get any further in our worship time before the Lord, let's come before our God and say, we are sinners and just break our hearts down. It's a way of melting our hearts. Now, every week when we do the confession, you can easily just stand there and not participate. You can easily just stand there and say the words, right? And it does not penetrate into you. So there's nothing magical about the confession and repenting before God. It has to do with our attitude, becoming humble before God and saying, God, I'm sorry. And if we're really honest, this is only the work that the Holy Spirit can do. See, we can have a desire to say, God, I, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. But only the Holy Spirit can make you humble and touch deep into your heart. Paul wrote to 2 Timothy. He wrote to Timothy as recorded in 2 Timothy. And he says, repentance is the work of God. So our job as the work of the people is just to be open to it. God, I'm sorry. Break down my heart. 
Help me to see that I am not worthy of all that you have done for me on the cross. Melt my heart. Melt my heart, God. And so I just want to encourage you, whenever we go before the Lord in our our corporate uh, confession, to just become humble and invite the Holy Spirit uh, to soften your heart. You know, I also want to say, uh, Jonah 3 is probably one of my very favorite um, passages in all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. I love Jonah chapter 3. Because God does something through this horrible eight-word sermon and all the people repent. And I read this story of thousands of people repenting after Jonah preaches a sermon. I think, you know, I've preached some pretty bad sermons. There might be hope for God using my words to reach God's people. Sometimes when I, when I prepare all week, I, I look at the text and I'm like, oh, I don't want to preach this week. What, I, I don't know what to say to these folks. And, and then I'm always reminded each and every week that when I preach to you, the words that come out of my mouth, somehow the Holy Spirit intercepts and they, are, they get to your ears, right? So be, between the time they leave my mouth and they get to your ears, the Holy Spirit's moving and active. And that's my prayer every week. God, whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever foolishness, whatever nonsense, you know, whatever might come out of my mouth, you intercede before it gets to their ears so that when it gets to their ears, it can go deep into their hearts. Because if you hear something from God's Word, it goes to your ears, into your mind, it's not done yet. It needs to move into your heart. Because that's where life change happens, and that's why thousands of people repented. And I want you to hear that this is good news for you, too. You should hear the story of Jonah, especially Jonah 3, and think to yourself, Ah! God used a really bad sermon, some really horrible words, and had wonderful, amazing results. See, sometimes some of you will come to me, and you'll say, Hey, I've got a co-worker, or a friend, or a family member, and I want to share Jesus with them, and I'm just not sure what to say. I don't want to mess it up. And I get that. I understand that. But I want to remind you, Jonah preached a horrible, awful, terrible, eight-word sermon, and somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, God showed up and did something. So you need to know that your God can intercede. God can intercede in your words. Because the longer you remain silent, the longer that person doesn't know about Jesus. And I know we tie ourselves in knots, thinking, well, I'm not going to have the right words. I don't, have, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about Jesus. You know what? Apparently, Jonah, one of the worst examples you could imagine. I want to encourage you to think about how God used this disobedient, blundering preacher of a man to his glory. You hear the good news of that? I mean, you should hear this and go, man, I could be the next Billy Brown, right? See, preaching God's word, sharing God's good news with others, it's never based on you. It's never about you. It's never about me. It's just about surrendering and saying, God, use my words to share Jesus with other people. I love this. I love this, uh, this, this story, this particular part 
the story. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring destruction. He had threatened. God heard the confession and the repentance of these evil, horrible, awful Ninevites. And he said, I hear you. And it says he relented. And this is in the Old Testament, folks. Oftentimes we think of the Old Testament as, as a God of judgment and a God of wrath. In the New Testament, about a God of love. But if there is not love in this story, I don't know where there is love. This is a story of God's love. God is completely consistent throughout Old Testament times and New Testament times. When the people, when you and I confess our sin, when we get humbled before God and say, God, I'm sorry for the ways I messed up this week, maybe this morning, God shows up and promises to forgive us all our sin. That's why every week after we, we share the confession uh, to God on the screen, Jeff or myself or one of our worship leaders reads from Scripture, sometimes an old passage, sometimes a New Testament passage. And it's that, that assurance, that reminder. It's called the absolution. It's a proclamation. When you confess your sin, and I don't care what your sin is, it doesn't matter. God promises to forgive you. And that's how the story of Jonah just continues to progress. God forgives the evil Ninevites. I don't invite you this morning to think about the ways in which God is inviting you to a second chance. Maybe you felt far from God for all sorts of reasons. For maybe the sin in your life, or omission, maybe you've just been kind of floating along. Maybe you've actively, knowingly been sinning against God, just running away from God like Jonah. You knew exactly what you were doing. I want to tell you, this morning, in this, in this new space, in this new season, in this new time, all that can be in the rearview mirror. All you need to do is just say, God, forgive me today. Heal me and restore me. Give me a second chance. That's the story of Jonah. God just continues to come after him and love him over and over and over. The next week, it's probably actually even my more favorite part of the story of Jonah. Because it's the real part of Jonah. It's the real part of the story where things get really hard. See, up until now, Jonah has repented. God has rescued the Ninevites. But there's some crazy stuff that's going to happen as we conclude Jonah chapter 4. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who comes to us and meets us wherever we're at. We thank you, God, that you are a God of second chances, that you are a God of rescue, and that, God, you could, if you can use a guy like Jonah to, to preach the word, that, my goodness, maybe there's hope for us. Remind us, Lord, that the, the transmission of the gospel is never about us as individuals, but it is always about your Holy Spirit moving in the lives of your people. 
And God, this is just something we do not understand. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to surrender and get out of the way. Lord, in your mercy, be our God.